Behavioural finance attempts to understand and explain observed investor and market behaviours. This differs from traditional standard finance, which is based on hypotheses about how investors and markets should behave. Behavioural finance studies the psychology of financial decision making because emotions affect investment decisions. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be running through behavioural finances, looking at our own biases and how you can potentially overcome these traits. Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor. And if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Collective podcast. I'm Zach Masters, and today I'm joined, as always, by Pete Pennycock from Picada and Anthony Malvazo from AGM Advisor Group. How are we going, gents? Feeling good. Uh, yeah, like we've actually legitimately, this is a real real positive week for Victorians. So, um, yeah, nice. Tony, you've been to the pub already? Yeah, uh, it was quite tough in the CBD as everything was quite booked, but we managed to go to uh, Cafe Treviso and then over for another quiet drink to the Mitre Tavern. And, uh, yeah, it was just good being out. Uh, you're sitting there without your mask. Obviously, you need to put it up when you go to the, the bathroom or leave. But it was just good. People are smiling at each other. It was a great day. Sun was out. It felt like Melbourne again, and everyone was uh, really getting into it. Would you recommend was... those establishments for our listeners out there? Definitely Cafe Treviso. The Mitre's a bit of a, you know, just your average pub, but Cafe Treviso <laughs> Sorry, is very tough. fine and... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not bad, but I wouldn't be travelling in to go to the mine. It, it, compared to Treviso, Treviso is a fantastic uh, Italian cuisine. So Very if you good. Like Cash comments. Food, so definitely we'll some uh, free free dining vouchers coming your way, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, an apology, apologies in advance for uh, if we've got some different audio happening on, on mine. I'm currently sitting outdoors on the per, uh, porch here because a little bit of chaos happening indoors so kids are going a little bit crazy so i have to escape from there so yeah apologies for that we might hear some uh, background noise and a little bit of a breeze in the background um <laughs> yeah that's i think it should be all right you can i'm um, just trying to do the quick mute and, and release uh, but we'll see how we go so in terms of finance news this week um we had the ant group um that's going to be the biggest ipo in history so it's a little spin off from alibaba group so um, do you want to talk to us a little bit about that one Pete? I guess we'll all just be remembering this day of like where were you when Ant listed um, pretty insane like when you think about what, like the beginnings of this and yeah you can draw some parallels to the Amazon business because this was um, Alipay uh, spin-off from Alibaba um, which is the I think the highest valued sort of fintech um, and sort of company globally. So um, yeah, digital payments, business finance. You just think about the sheer volume of people in mainland China. Wow, um, yeah, pretty impressive. Um, pretty impressive business. Just like the yeah, the numbers are staggering. I think the what they're saying like the valuation is like four hundred and fifty-seven billion dollars. Yeah, um, and to put that into perspective, that's bigger than. Um, the big four here combined. Yeah, and look, the nearest pay, like another payment, pure payments business would be like a MasterCard. That's $318 billion. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it's it's interesting. Like, I don't think the valuation looks like excessive given the current environment, but you know, I'd always be cautious jumping into IPOs 
straight after they've listed. Um, because, yeah, like there's always a reason for it listing and it's generally, yeah, there's information asymmetry. So the, the people selling it and listing it have tarted it up to look like the best it can possibly look. Um, so you think about sort of like me before marriage, like, you know, really like wedding day, looking my best in shape and then sort of a gradual decline since then. Um, <laughs> once you settle in a little bit, um, and you know, I'm working to get back to my peak, but, um, probably don't have the same motivation. Whereas when you're trying to list, you've got that motivation to, um, get something out of it. And I think, I know a door beauty, um, sort of sold off a little bit of a fizzer in terms of the IPO here, but. Apparently a very, very good business. Um, so um, keen, keen to see how that one plays out. That was my girlfriend's first share. She purchased that today. So, oh, um, after the job, good. That could be yeah. a good good point. And they had a lot of insider selling in the past uh, week. So if you're looking at the ASX announcements, um, obviously this is not the point of the show today. We could talk about IPOs all day. <laughs> um, anyway, what else has been happening? I uh, saw so Liquorland. Uh, yeah, sort of close to the home. This one's near and dear to me. Um, so consumption of liquor uh, has sort of skyrocketed uh, during COVID. So really interesting. They had some demographic stats as well. I think there was a study, it escapes me who it was from, but it was like um, middle-aged men were the biggest, um, the biggest increase was in middle-aged men. So um, might explain why my cellar's a little bit sort of um, empty. <laughs> run out of red wine. So if anyone's got any red wine suggestions, um, happy to take them. So please send them in to connectedpicada.com.au. <laughs> Um, we also had, yeah, with the Liquorland one, did any of you manage to get on that mountain goat sale? So they had a, a website glitch and now it's turned into a, a horrible PR exercise for them because um, they're usually not on Twitter. They've now come on Twitter. I was looking at their feed the other day. It's all handled pretty bad. So you could go on and buy like three slabs for 60 bucks, 10 slabs for like 90 bucks. That's, that's a good um, that's good value. That's yeah, good shopping. Yeah. But apparently they said, so this happened, what was it? So we're Thursday today. It happened on yesterday on Wednesday. Oh, no, Tuesday. Um, so I managed to get on and get some, but apparently they're not honouring it. And um, they still haven't sent an email. Just pay. Just pay yeah. it out. It's a good stunt. It's yeah. brilliant. What, a lot of people are saying the, the marketing team would be in there going, oh, come on, we'll just this will be our marketing spend for the next couple of months. Let's just let it go and yeah. see what happens. And um, it would be the marketing versus the finance department trying to run the numbers and see what works. Um, but someone would have had a, a few crappy days at work, I reckon, over the last last couple of days. Uh, and we've also got the ATO going after false JobKeeper claims. But... Yeah, and they've, I think they've been yeah. threatening these sort of actions quite a bit. And I'm really interested to see how this plays out because it'll show what how good their systems are, like in terms of the artificial intelligence, the auditing system to cross-reference these different data points of, oh, you said you're earning this, but then what does your GST think? Your invoices, what do your receipts look like? Mm. What? Oh, they, you know, they don't have access to your bank accounts, or so they tell us. Um, yeah, I thought they could start to look at that type of stuff. Well, maybe they can. And this is where it becomes really interesting because uh, I've no doubt there's, you know, with any scheme or... Um, uh, sort of window uh -huh. of opportunity that opens up. Yeah, it's Ooh. it's rife. For, there's always someone looking to exploit it incorrectly, which sucks Ooh. for the rest of you know the 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 population that's trying to do the right thing. Uh, and it just that's what creates all the red tape because there's always some you know some group of small percentage of people trying to rip off the system. So um, interesting to see Ooh. how that plays out and how much they recoup. So 
Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go about it. But there's no doubt, like even on my Facebook, I've seen heaps of people that have um, gone about claiming it without realizing potentially, um, you know, you had to have had a loss of income of twenty percent and different things like that, and they've just gone, oh yeah, mm. can go and claim it and, and started yeah. to do it. The same with the drawing out of the super. Um, that one's going to be um, quite yeah, drawing quite out of the super. And that's just, you're harming yourself. So, you know, the other one's mm. like really taxpayer dollars that, you know, going to... They, and that's the thing. There's a lot of people out there that really needed that stimulus. Um, mm. And possibly could have got paid a bit more if there was less people sort of sucking it out unnecessarily. So, mm. interesting. Watch and see. Um, it'll be, I don't know, it's a testament to see how big data goes and in artificial intelligence. So, yeah. let's see. Uh, go, go gadget ATO. It's going to be an interesting it was, watch. It was, it was, um, it was, so I was just going to say, it was fairly uh, simple, but people that don't know a few people who have gone through it. It's pretty, do you want to name names? It, or what's a, no, no, <laughs> no, not particularly. <laughs> but uh, the, the question's there, and you've got to look at your, your invoices or, you know, your revenue. Yeah. And, uh, it, and if, you, it, it's, <laughs> if it's not matching what you're saying, there's a good chance you're going to be picked up. And you should, if, you, if you're not, uh, if you haven't had that decrease in revenue or whatever the reason was. So I think anyone who, you know, is worried about getting caught should have probably known, would have known that prior. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be too much of a surprise to you when you come after. And I think most people have probably known <laughs> they've done the wrong thing. Um, but on mm. to today's episode. So um, a little bit different from what we just talked about, but Today's episode, we're going to be talking about behavioural finance. So behavioural finance attempts to understand and explain observed investor and market behaviours. This differs from traditional, like our standard finance, which uh, is based upon hypotheses of how investors and markets should behave. So the idea is that um, potentially some people say, you know, the standard finance talks about um, everything being completely rational with all information present. Um, but that's not the case because investors can often be irrational. So behavioural finance studies the psychology of the financial decision-making, um, and it's really important because emotions affect investment decisions, and that's one of the biggest things um, that we often look at as advisors is trying to help shape um, people's investment decision-making and making sure that they're doing the right thing and trying to overcome any potential flaws that they might have in their financial decision-making. Um, so I might kick off with you, Anthony. Um, is there any behavioural finance traits that you yourself have overcome? Yeah, crawling before I walk with investment decisions. Um, I'm sure I wasn't alone here. Pre-GFC, I was very keen to, you know, kickstart my stock investment portfolio. So utilise margin lending, which is investment lending now, and really uh, borrowed at a level where I wasn't able to give myself an out. Now, that was extreme times. And I think that's when, you know, your bad behaviours come out when you put the decisions that are way out of your control and they're changing at the rapid rate it was. But just borrowing too much. The experience was at a very young age, young, respected, relatively. Uh, so it was a really good lesson for later on in life to basically, um, the, if it's a strategy, make sure you've given yourself out and you make sure you uh, stick to your strategy. Because through that time, again, I'm sure a lot of people, they changed their, along the way of what sort of what they were purchasing, whether they were going through an investment fund or direct stocks, where they were getting borrowings from other areas. So, yeah, that's what that was one. And uh, I'm sure I wasn't alone there. But, yeah, just making sure you're going at a rate where you, you can control anything that, anything that doesn't go your way. What about you, Pete? What type of behavioural finance traits have you overcome? 
Oh, none. No, I've done pretty, <laughs> been pretty much like, you know, crafted as this born a perfect investor. No, in all seriousness. <laughs> no, if anyone who knows me knows that's definitely not the case. Um, yeah, I think it takes time. Like you do, you learn how to manage it. I, th- I don't think you stop feeling these bias, like these feelings, but you, you learn to manage them a lot better. So the, the biggest one for me and probably the one that I think I have improved on the best is loss aversion um so this is like a classic case of you know either selling winners too early or holding on to losers too long and it's this yeah uh, i think you get a more rounded perspective over time which helps like assess your whatever you've got in your portfolio currently and what's your next investment or what do you want to include and you do it on its merits not fixating on what's been so and i think a big part of this is we tend to feel like humans um and most of the people sort of on this podcast are human um or at least claim to be you 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 tend to um and i think sort of someone who's won a nobel prize so mr kahneman says you feel a loss two to 2.5 times more um than the exact same gain um, so, you know, if you had a $100,000 portfolio, the $10,000 loss feels two to two times, two and a half times more significant to you than that $10,000 gain. So going to 90000 versus 100. And if you're taking that example out to what's happened, what happened in February uh, through to March, you know, that 100 could have very well turned into 70 uh, versus if you had have bought at the bottom of that, and then that 100 might very well look like 130. Uh, so yeah, that, that's probably the one for me and definitely like kept trimming my winners too much. And that's, it's a lesson you learn. You only have very, very few really good investment ideas. Um, some of us more than others, but, um, you, these, you need to hang on to them let them do their thing and work their magic. Cause generally, um, that's when the, like the really substantial gains happen. Um, and I've, I've still got some in my portfolio. So none of us are completely avoid of this. I still have some stocks in my portfolio that I am waiting for this. Everyone to just wake up and see the opportunity. Um, and I think you know what I'm talking about is one of mine in there, Zach. So we won't mention yep. that company, but we really <laughs> hope that the world sees the value of that business uh, as we see it. But yeah, um, realistically, probably not. <laughs> what have you got? Not, what are, not Zach, you, not you're not a perfect that. investor, are you? No. You're not no, going to mention not. that, Pete? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no? For, for me, it's uh, I've uh, in the past, like, and something I'm starting to get better at now. But price anchoring was a big one for me to overcome. So that's where you see a stock at a um, potential price, or you see um, a share price falling. Um, you have the idea that um, the stock's going to go down further, um, or if if the stock's in fact gone up in recent days, you feel it's going to go back to the the point it was at a few days ago. So you refuse to then go and purchase it, even though are you really that concerned with the day-to-day um, rise and fall of that particular stock? Maybe, maybe not. But then um, there's been quite a few, or not quite a few, but a few that I've missed out on just because I've felt that the stock's going to come back to a certain price. You set a um, price limit order and then you end up missing it because it just keeps going up and you're never willing to then buy in at that price. Um, so I know like a common one for a lot of people but this has been after pay recently and when it first floated, like a lot of people. Uh, yeah, these examples, this, the uh, history is littered with so many of these examples. And I think even yeah. all the big, the giant mega cap tech 
companies. You look at those, you go, oh, yeah, Amazon, oh, 500, that seems good. And then it goes to like 520. Oh, I'll just wait. Oh, then it gets to 1,000. You're like, oh, I'll just wait a little bit longer. And then you wait, and now it's 2,000, and it's 2,500, and now it's 3,100. Um, so at some point, you just got to, and I think we'll get to this later, is how do you overcome these? What are some tools that you can implement in your um, investment routine and regimen that can overcome it? And I think it is that you just got to be prepared to know these exist um, because you can't, I don't know, we're human. So we have feelings, we're driven by emotion. There's two parts, the analytical and the emotional parts of our brain. And unfortunately, sometimes that, um, yeah, those feelings really get us. So um yeah yeah good one that's zach so you bought what what did you what did you pay for after paying the end <laughs> still not in that was the, the big one that made me realize i need to change the way i'm going about doing things um mm. which we'll talk about a little bit later on how you can potentially change those things but uh, i guess i might ask you anthony what type of environmental um factors can influence the way that people make investment decisions I think it's uh, people often uh, live, act, well, they're going to vote next week in the, in the US or they already have. Uh, the way they're brought up and the people that they surround themselves, generally, um, you know, you get ideas of, you know, you're, you're either a mentor, an advisor or a family member or someone that, that trusts that you trust. Uh, generally, people will, will act on, the, on, on that, that sort of guidance and it's, I'd say one of the best things you can do is surround yourself with people that think differently. And that way you can sort of gather all different forms of, of uh, advice and the ways to think or to invest in this case. And you can make a decision on more than just people who are, go, are guiding you in one direction. I think a lot of people, and even you see this classic argument, property versus shares, and it's generally a lot of people, if they're growing up with parents who have invested in property and they've, you know, got the mates who have got, you know, bought an investment portfolio and they read those, those stories on news.com or the, there was a lady a couple, of week, couple of weeks ago that brought her up a few times where she's got 20 investment properties. She's always worked in a, you know, an income, in a job where it's, you know, been uh, on the average salary. They sort of go that path. Or if they've, you know, got um, been around more, you know, a different way of thinking, they think down, you know, let's invest in stocks. I think if you, you surround yourself with people who think uh, differently, you can sort of in, in, uh, enhance your, uh, your thought process and make, make sound decisions that can account for everything. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, because especially you need to be learning, and that's a good way that you can overcome environmental factors, because... Mm. Like sometimes you can go and speak to people that um, have had a different upbringing to and their views in, on financial decisions that can be completely different. So like that um, property versus shares one's a, a good one because you often hear sometimes that people come and say, oh, I'm not investing in shares, they're so risky, um, but are willing to go and buy investment properties in a mining town or something like that because it's a ta tangible asset. So it's often um, yeah. about that. Um, but I might ask you, Pete, what are the risks of um, people not being aware of their personal behavioural finance traits? Uh, like the big one is we're all creatures of habit. And I think what generally drives us back to those habits, in a lot of cases, bad. And we're, you know, we're talking about bad habits. So if you're driven back to your good habits, that's fantastic. Um, but generally, like in times of stress, emotions run high. So, um, generally get into this really stiff um, decision-making thing just as just to survive so you go into surviving mode and go 
your brain wants to make the easiest decision just to have relief and sort of move on to sort of go to the next thing. So we generally fall back to making decisions on emotion as opposed to using the analytical part of our brain and rationally thinking about things. Um, And then you sort of get that, that's compounded because you have all this 24 hour news cycle and this sort of herd mentality of going, okay, this is what's happening. And you start to buy into it. So I just think for me, if you're not aware of that and you get sucked into that sort of vortex, you just make dumb decisions. Like people make dumb decisions when they're not aware of these things because they think they're thinking through a, a problem and making an active decision, but realistically they're just being driven by their sort of um, raw emotions and sort of making things based, um, you know, not on sound thinking and in the cool, calm light of day that they would have made otherwise. Um, so I think that's a, like, you know, the check for that is do a bit of an audit before you act. Um, and I think the, what happens is I think there was a, a study done, which Russell Investments did. Um, might, it it might have been based on US participants, but it showed that the difference between people who are actively trading and people who like have a long-term investment strategy is around about 2.2% per annum. That's massive. You know, that, and that's, which one um, ended up better? At the people that were long-term investors, <laughs> so not the trading. So, um, like Carl Richards, who's the sketch guy, draws a really cool um, images and um, yeah, quite prolific sort of on Twitter mm. and socials and stuff. He refers to it as the behavior gap. So the difference between what you should get um, if you invest your money and what the actual investor does get, uh, and that difference, generally a negative difference, is the behavior gap. Um, so yeah, um, and we've seen that recently, like, you know, what happened during the COVID initial, uh, sell off in February to March, like ASIC did a study and it showed like there was 140 new accounts and there was another 142, 140,000 new accounts and 142,000 dormant broken accounts that just suddenly became active. Um, and these accounts went from trading, like every four to five days, to trading every day um and generally the peaks of trades were followed by a negative day so it showed that retail investors don't make good investors a lot of the time so they're sort of uh buying like they're doing exactly the opposite like they're buying at a, a high point and sort of you know exiting on the sales so um yeah i think we've seen this in practice and i i I think that's a, just a clear demonstration that mm. people get, whether it's driven by fear or greed or a bit of both, um, I don't think that's rational thinking. Um, so that's, I think that's probably the, the telltale sign that if you're starting to make decisions and you can't remember why or what your investment thesis was or what your plan was, you're probably falling into one of the behavioral finance traps. Yeah, and that's a, I think that's a good one, like how many times have you potentially seen um, as an advisor that people come in um, saying, oh, yeah, you know, I moved to cash post-GFC or, um, oh, yeah, I moved to cash, like, in, in March this year because the market was just going down um, too much. Do you potentially that loss aversion starts to come in? Um, and then, you know, do you get price anchoring? Like, when are you going to buy back in? All those types of things. So you've got to be aware of these things. Um is there any other risk that you see, Anthony, from not being aware of your personal finance or personal behavioural traits? I think uh, just making the same mistakes time over time. And take the example I gave myself that, uh, you know, gearing too high. If you keep making those, a mistake like that, as the I made that at what, 20, you know, mid-20s. So if you keep making that in your mid-30s, 
mid forties gets to a point where it might be a point of no return and you've severely hammered your financial situation to a point where you, you know it's just thing you're gonna have to work well beyond your what you want to and uh you're not gonna reach you know the goals and dreams that you've worked or were aspiring to um so i think you're just repeating the same mistake and i think we're all prone to that in one way or another i mean you look at diets or exercise it's the same thing you know you want the results it's till you realize what's the what's the what am i doing what what's not working and and sort of try to change that those behaviours and work from there. And then keeping a keeping a check on yourself as piece of an order check. Yeah, checking in every so every very often to make sure it's it's flowing along and you're moving to moving to where you want to be. Yeah, and if things aren't working for you, so one of the ones the big behavioural finance stress that we haven't spoken about is overconfidence. Um, so it comes from the egotistical side. So um, overconfidence is constantly thinking that your information's correct or that you're the right person. So if you are, you know, things aren't going well. Sometimes it might be that, you you know, you are overconfident, you need to potentially reach out to a professional in the field or someone else and and have a look at other options because otherwise you might be digging yourself a a deeper and deeper hole. So I'm not not reaching Probably a good sample of this. Like who who here thinks they're an above average driver? Yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> Anthony would. I would. So three of us here, a hundred percent of us are above average. So there you go. A little bit of a quick sample. <laughs> that overconfidence what, what, bias is alive and well on the uh, Wealth Collective podcast. What, what What's the insurance rating of everyone here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no I'm, comment. Yeah, I'm probably not. I, I do not. I do. I do not recall. I might take it back after I've thought about I it a little bit more. <laughs> um. But following on from that overconfidence one, do you think uh, is behavioural finance something that you can improve over time, Pete? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the more, the longer you invest, and providing you're happy to take on feedback and try and learn, and I think that having the, I don't know, a not a, don't have a rigid mindset when you're approaching what type of investor you are, and don't be swayed by your either early successes or failures. Um, so. Definitely can be learned. It's a skill uh, to be able to manage it. Um, and I think the best idea, I don't know, are we, are we throwing a few, like a tip in of how to yeah, manage 100%. it? Or? All right. So this is the one that's worked the best for me. And it probably helps that in the line of work I'm in, so I'm sort of forced to do this. But write down somewhere for future reference. And this is don't write it down on the post-it note and then throw it in the bin. So I have a like a book or in this digital age, like a, um, a OneNote page or a Dropbox page or Evernote page or something where you can go this is my these are my financial priorities slash financial thesis or investment thesis so if you have that you write down the stuff so before you go making a decision uh, and this is all part of a financial planning process this is why the process part is so important um, to write down like what is your objective of the investment or the plan so or your financial plan all right what's important to you what are you trying to get is it trying to um, build towards buying a property or is it saving for retirement or is it to try and fund a um, family holiday in several years time uh, to Disneyland I don't know just thinking out loud that's what I want to do <laughs> um, and then all right great now you know why now what so what have you decided to invest in and why so what is your investment thesis what is this and what is the supporting research for this so how have you come to this decision and if you can't 
answer that, you shouldn't be making that decision and jumping in because this, this is your personal finances, like significant. Mm. This is high stakes. Um, mm. So I think what happens then, you've got that, you, you go back to make sure it's date stamped, time stamped. Great. Next time you go to make a decision or you panic. So in March this year, you're like, oh my gosh, my portfolio is dropping, my super is dropping. Oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how secure my job is. Like, breathe and go, hang on. All right, I remember. I've got to go back to the, that page and refer back and go, all right, what is my actual plan? Um, so my long-term objective, I still want to buy that property. I still want to go on the holiday. I still want to retire. Okay, great. That hasn't changed. Now look at my why. Like, what, what did I choose and why? The investment thesis still stacks up. So the world's crazy, 100%. Agree. Has my investment thesis changed for these investments or is it just a case of the world, you know, these unforeseen circumstances, it's horrible. Like this is not a, a fire drill, but my investment thesis still stacks up. It actually might give you, so when you're reflecting, you're hopefully going to go, oh, actually the best course of action is to stick to the plan and do nothing. Or actually, this is a really good investment thesis. Is this something I should see as an opportunity now? So I think you start to, just by like taking that moment to breathe a bit, because your brain's probably in a panicked, stressed, tired, exhausted state. So instead of using the, like the analytical side of your brain, it just like it, it's trying to save energy and survive and go, oh no, I'll just act on emotion. And we've all been there. I've, you know, I've been an emotional person at different points in time. Um, but I think that's the bit, I think for me, like when you write stuff down and refer back to it and read it, it just sort of hits home and go, oh, okay. That's what I did. And I had planned for this. I knew that I didn't know it was going to be a global pandemic, but I, you know, I, I didn't expect the market to go up every year. I'm not, mm. uh, I'm not insane. So I think that's, um, that's a really good thing that people can implement. It doesn't cost you any money. Uh, so a lot of those services, like even if you've got a, a notebook, like it doesn't cost you a lot. Just make sure you write it there and refer back to it. Um, and that's your sort of, you know, you go back to it and read it when things get a little bit tense and then write something new there as well and go, oh, okay, I'm feeling this because there'll be another one of these. This is not going to be the last kick in the pants for, I hate to break it to you. Um, most of our listeners out there, I see the demographics of who listens. We're going to get another one of these. I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know what's going to cause it, but we will get mm. another market shock of mm. a, you know, a significant degree that'll make you feel queasy. Um, so the best thing is, yeah, we've just had such a recent one. Use this as a absolute education lesson. Um, learn from it. What did you do wrong? What did you do right? Um, what would you have done differently if you had your time over again? Um, so then when you do get your time over again, because we think it's never going to happen, but it will. Um, <laughs> behave differently. Behave better. Be a better investor because you know, if you can f bridge that investor gap, like that 2.2%, um, Wow, that's just immensely powerful compounding that will um, do wonderful things for you. It'll, you know, it might bring forward retirement, might bring forward that property, or who knows, I might be able to get these kids to Disneyland. <laughs> no, that's a very good point, um, especially around, I think, yeah, always going back to your why you're investing and learning from your past mistakes, because that's my big one is when I missed, after pay, I've been all right, well, I can't being setting these price limits and not being flexible. Like if I think this is something good, do I just get in at market rate and not worry about, you know, the difference between, you know, 10 cents potentially. You're still going to be comfortable like with your valuation of the business. But I think the yeah, thing I challenge you on, Zach, is if you're going to buy it, you're probably hoping it went up more than 10 cents. 
Yeah. Correct. So, like, yeah. you know, why mm. why obsess over that ten cents? I don't know who would do that. Like, that's. Well, if it comes back to that too, the the loss aversion, like that buying in, you have that then loss aversion to it going back to where it potentially was after you bought in. So you're going, oh, look, I can, and then you've got overconfidence as well, going, oh no, I'll come back down. I mean, well, I'm
you think you're a legend investor, like the next, like you can have a bronze statue out the front of Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> next to, um, yeah, <laughs> Uncle Warren. Um, but realistically, sometimes you're just lucky and you, it's timing. So you got to have the presence of mind to really look beyond every decision you make and try and understand like what's actually yeah what's driven it is it is it skill and that's that one of that's one of the biases of overconfidence and um yeah that's what influences decisions as well because you're a factor of your experiences of what's happened in the past um so yeah i think i think that's it like they're the they're the big ones and you know i think uh, people can try and manage it and navigate it and if someone needs to fling an email in and have a chat to someone you know by all means reach out because if you're if you, it sometimes just helps to speak to someone else that's a little bit removed from the situation to do so. So um, mm. I'll happily post both of your mobile numbers out there for <laughs> listeners to get in touch. So um, and all you know, home addresses and everything. Um, sure, definitely reach out to the team. <laughs> well, as always, if you got any questions, email us at connectedbacada.com.au or hit us up on any of our socials. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Good luck if you're having a little tipple on the Melbourne Cup. Oh, I forgot there was even on. There you go. All right, see. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers.